Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? I want to welcome everyone that's here and everyone watching online as well. You know, we are so excited about the next couple of weeks because what we're going to be doing here is we're going to be talking about our core beliefs as a church, what is foundational to us at Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. You know, our desire is to help imperfect people like you, like me, learn how to do life with our perfect God so that we can experience the best life possible. And I think the only way we're going to be able to get there is by first understanding this concept that's known as free grace or free grace theology. And basically what it means is that our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, the gift of eternal life with God in heaven is an absolutely free gift given to us by God with no strings attached. And I think the best place to start in our study of free grace theology is by answering this basic crucial question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Right, doesn't that make sense? That's where you got to start. What does it actually mean to be a Christian? There's a phrase, Arbeit macht frei. Okay, it's a German phrase. Unless you speak German, you probably don't know what that means. But this phrase, it hung over the entryways to the concentration camps in both Auschwitz and Dachau. It's German for work makes free. Work will liberate you. Work will give you freedom. It was a lie, of course. It was a false hope. See, the Nazis made the people believe that if they just worked hard enough, they would be liberated. But the promised liberation was actually suffering and death. Arbeit macht frei. You know, that phrase is actually the spiritual lie of all ages. It's a religious lie. It's a satanic lie. And unfortunately, it's the hope of many people in our world today. You know, a lot of people think that if I just work hard enough, that in the end, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I'll be able to stand before God in eternity, and he's going to let me into his heaven. Arbeit macht frei. It's actually the hope of every false religion. But you know what? The Bible makes it abundantly clear that all of mankind has fallen short of God's perfect standard. And no amount of good work is going to get you into heaven. No amount of good work will save your soul. Now, that's some bad news, but we're going to look at some hardcore good news today. This is the foundation of our faith as Christians. We call it the gospel, and the gospel means good news. And that's what we're going to look at today. And what we're going to talk about this morning, it may seem a little bit technical, okay, but it's very, very important. The next couple of weeks, it's going to be a little bit more like a study, more like a classroom here. And by the way, if you're not already getting these bulletins, we have them in the back each and every week. We haven't been passing them out since the COVID times, but you can download this online or you can pick up a copy on your way out because we're going to cover a lot of detail this morning in the next couple of weeks. So be sure to get a bulletin if you want this information in hand. All right, we got a lot to cover. So let's begin in Romans Chapter 3 and verse 21. Here we go. Paul says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Okay, Paul, just so you know, has been building a systematic, logical case in the first three chapters of Romans that all of mankind is guilty. No one is innocent. All have sinned. All fall short. 
But then in Romans 3.21, Paul shifts gears and he says, but now. And anytime you see that little word, but, you need to pay attention. That means a transition is going to take place. And thank God for these two little words, but now. I mean, this is the turning point of the book of Romans. Paul is now going to answer the pressing question, how do we get right with God? Paul says, but now, and the light comes shining through. And just as big doors swing on little hinges, a lot of important statements in the Bible, they often depend upon the smallest of words like articles and prepositions. In fact, many of the great doctrines of Scripture revolve around a single word like grace, atonement, or faith. And so a correct understanding of biblical truths depends on a correct understanding of the words used to convey those truths. Now, I shared this stuff with some of you a few years ago, but, but I ran across a very poignant reminder of how incorrect words can lead to incorrect understanding. What I'm going to show you up here, these are actual notes from hospital charts, okay, apparently written by a sleepy intern or frazzled nurse, and I'll kind of walk you through these one at a time. Let's pull up the first one here. It says, she is numb from her toes down, okay? <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> Here's another one. I saw your patient today who is still under our car for physical therapy. Interesting approach, all right? Patient has two teenage daughters, but no other abnormalities. <laughs> your parents are teenagers. You'll know what I'm talking about there, okay? Well, in the ER, she was examined, X-rated, and sent home. Ooh, okay. Uh, this is one I hope to never experience. Rectal examination revealed a normal-sized thyroid. <laughs> Not the right approach. <laughs> this is a good one. Occasional, constant, infrequent headaches. <laughs> what? She stated that she had been constipated for most of her life until she got a divorce. <laughs> How many of you ladies in here? Now, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't even go there. There's actually a lady at Sun City started to do this, but... <laughs> And then finally, the lab test indicated abnormal lover function. <laughs> See, words are extremely important, right? You don't get the right words, you don't get the right meaning. So thank God that Proverbs 30 and verse 5 says this, every word of God is flawless. So every word we're going to look at today is flawless, but it's very important that we understand these words. And so I'm going to get into the Greek. You're going to hear a lot of Greek terms today because we have to get a correct definition of the words to understand these truths. Now, there's a couple words that you don't want to miss in our passage today. These are incredibly critical words. They describe the miracles that God does for us when we receive the gift of eternal life. Three words are justification, redemption, and atonement. And we're going to look at each of those in depth. But in Romans 3, in just a handful of passages, Paul is actually going to walk us through today nine incredible truths related to our salvation. So let's walk through each of these. And by the time we're done, I hope you'll be going, whoa, I had no idea. What an awesome God that he's done all this for us in Jesus. So here we go. First of all, we need to recognize that salvation is designed by God. Hey, Paul talks about a righteousness from God. The first thing we know for sure about salvation is that it comes from God. It was designed by God. Man didn't think this up. Man didn't initiate it. It wasn't our creativity. Okay, this whole plan of salvation that we're looking at today, it was thought up by God, initiated by him. Second, salvation is unearned. It says it's a righteousness apart from the law. Back in verse 20, we read that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. 
You know, in the Old Testament, there were actually three different types of laws. There were moral laws, civil laws, and ceremonial laws. And Paul says that none of those laws are going to get you into heaven. But I happen to know that a lot of people, they try to earn their way into heaven by doing good works. They think, well, you know what, I'll just keep the Ten Commandments, or I will obey all the Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, commands you to be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. Good luck with that one. Well, Paul says this righteousness from God has nothing to do with observing laws. And everyone who's ever been saved has been saved apart from obeying rules. People, salvation is unearned. Third, Paul says salvation's not a secret. Now, this is interesting. It says a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. See, salvation is not a newly revealed secret. It's been around a long time. People have been saved all throughout history. It's revealed more fully in Christ, but the law and the prophets testified to this salvation. And that term law and the prophets there, it's a reference to the Old Testament scriptures. You know, 1 Peter 1, 10 to 11 backs up what Paul is saying here, that the message you don't earn your way into heaven had been taught back in the Old Testament. Look at what Peter says. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come. See, the Old Testament talks about grace. The prophets searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances in which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Folks, the whole Bible teaches the same thing. You are saved by grace through faith. It's not unique to the New Testament. In fact, the Old Testament sacrificial system very clearly foreshadowed that someone's going to die for someone else. And there's actually an entire book in the New Testament that is written specifically just to tell people how to be saved. It's the book of John. And 32 times, get this, 32 times in the book of John, we're told precisely how to receive eternal salvation. For instance, John 20, 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Of course, John 3.16, classic verse, tells us the same thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, that word belief there, it's the Greek word pistis. We get our words faith and trust from that same term. So anytime you look at your Bible, you see belief, faith, trust, same Greek word, same root meaning. It's the conviction that something is true. Belief is the conviction that something is true. So faith in Jesus, the kind of faith that saves you, is, is this just simply this. It's a conviction that Jesus is the guarantor of eternal life. That Jesus is the one who grants you forgiveness and eternal life. That's the gospel message. You simply believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the son of God. He did what he claimed to do. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again on the third day. He paid the price for you. That is the gospel message. Now, I realize that sometimes people think, well, I don't know about that. We get a little pushback on this free grace message. And if you think about it, it makes sense to me because there's nothing in life that we receive simply by believing it other than the gospel, right? And so sometimes people think, oh, can it really be that easy? Is it really that simple? Is it really just a free gift? The answer is yes, 
it is a simple message. There's nothing you or I do to receive salvation. We simply believe, and it's given to us. But, you know, if you think about it, it may be a simple message, but it's not always simple for people to get there. you got to believe that there is a God, right, that God exists. That 2,000 years ago, he came to this earth in human form. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, and, and rose again from the grave. That's not always easy for people to believe. Which brings us to our fourth point. Salvation is by faith. Verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. How do you get it? It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, when you look at how many times faith is used, just in the first three chapters of Romans alone, you begin to realize that the whole Christian life comes down to that word faith, believe, trust. All the other religions of the world, people, revolve around the word do. You got to do this, you got to do that. The Christian life revolves around the word faith, believe, trust. It's not about what we do. It's about believing in what Jesus has already done. You know, you ever gone up to somebody and asked if they're a Christian? They say, well, I'm trying. I'm trying to be a Christian. Folks, that answer doesn't fit the Christian formula, okay? It's like being pregnant. You either are or you aren't, all right? Suppose you could be trying to get pregnant, but that's a, that's a different story. We won't go there. Have fun with that, all right? But, but being a Christian, it's not a matter of trying. It's a matter of trusting. Let me say that again. Being a Christian is not a matter of trying. It's a matter of trusting. Let me take a little aside here. There are two common mistakes people make when it comes to having faith in Jesus. One is to say, well, I don't know if I have enough faith. You know what? It's not how much or how little faith you have. It's not the amount. It's the object of your faith that counts. It's not the amount. It's the object of your faith that counts. Jesus says if you have just a mustard seed of faith, you can move mountains. It's not about the size of your faith. The size of your faith is not what matters. It's the size of your God that matters. It's not how much faith you have. It's where you place the faith that you have. And you got to realize this. Every one of you in this room today, you have faith. You have exercised faith. You had faith today that when you came in and sat down in that chair, that the chair would hold you up, right? I mean, you had faith when you drove to church this morning. Faith in properly functioning traffic lights, faith in your car engine, faith in your teenage son's driving abilities, right? Whatever it may be. You had faith when you ate your oatmeal that your wife didn't poison it this morning, right? Everybody has faith. You're exercising faith. The only question is, what are you putting your faith in? Who are you putting your faith in? Now, the second mistake people make is putting faith in faith. You ever heard that? <laughs> no, it's faith in a person. Your faith is only good as, the, uh, as good as the object of your faith, right? Faith doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. And by the way, it's not just faith in God. Well, I believe that God exists. No, it's faith. It's trusting that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Jesus died for your sins. He gives you forgiveness and eternal life. It comes down to this. It can be boiled down to Jesus is the one who guarantees you eternal life the moment you believe. That's the gospel message. Nothing more and nothing less. That's what we're called to believe. And I got to be really, really clear this morning because I found in my own life that people will hear faith in Jesus, but then in their minds, they, they add little things. They've been taught other things somewhere along the line. They add stuff to that faith. And I got to tell you, saving faith, the kind of faith that saves you, it's not a faith plus kind of faith. Now, I made a list here just to go through them. 
saving faith, it's not a faith plus promising to serve God. Well, I got to believe in Jesus and I got to promise to know it's faith in Jesus. It's not faith plus praying. It's not faith plus being sorry for your sins. It's not faith plus turning from your sins. It's not faith plus inviting Jesus into your heart. Okay, a little personal story here. We, we had that back in our children's ministry curriculum like 25 years ago. And, and my son came out and he was all excited. He invited Jesus into his heart, okay? And then we, we got to talking about it. And I actually brought him into Terry Spinelli. He was the senior pastor at the time. Brought him into the office. And I said, hey, Nathan's got something to tell you. And, and Nathan kind of talks to Terry. He says, yeah, I, I, I invited George into my heart. And we're like, What? Well, it turns out he invited Jesus and George, George of the jungle, into his heart because those were his two special characters, right? And so then we had to start weeding stuff out. Okay, I know George is in there. That's fine. But Jesus is the one who saves you. You see how that can get confusing, right? And, and I'm not saying that some of these methods we use just to try to get kids to understand it are, are that bad. But, but again, what it really comes down to is believing in Jesus. I got more on this list. It's not faith plus doing good works. Not faith plus getting baptized, not faith plus public confession, not faith plus joining a church. Folks, salvation is simply believing that Jesus gives the gift of eternal life to anyone and everyone the moment they put their faith in him. That's it. You know, I thought about this. Here's a way to illustrate the difference between faith and faith plus works. Let's say you're in a building and you want to get to the 20th story of this building. And so you get on the elevator and you let it take you up three floors. But then you get off and, and you climb for three floors. You climb the stairs. And then you get back on the elevator. You let it take you up for three floors. And you get off again. You climb the stairs. Now, would that be silly? Of course it would. But a lot of people, they try to get saved that way. They believe in Jesus for a while, and then they work a little bit. Then they believe in Jesus and, and work again. Now, once you get on that elevator, you stay on. And you trust that that elevator is going to get you all the way to the top, all the way to heaven. That's faith in Jesus. All right, let's move on. Fifth, salvation is available to everybody. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's a universal gospel. Salvation is available to everybody. Everybody needs it, and everybody can have it. It is there for all who believe. Again, you notice it's not all who believe and work real hard. It's not faith plus works, but it's for everybody. Sixth, this is big, salvation is necessary. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I've got to unpack this a little bit. The two verbs here in the Greek are in two different tenses. You know, in English, we basically have past, present, and future tense. But in the Greek language, they actually had nine different tenses. And each one is distinct. Each one is purposeful. One of the reasons I love the Greek language is because it's so precise. It's the most technical language known to man. And the verb form here, the tense that Paul uses when he says all have sinned, it's called the aorist tense. And it simply means that it's past. It's over. It's a once and for all situation. All have sinned. That's an established fact. But then when Paul says and fall short, that's a present tense verb. It's actually one in the Greek, because they have different present tenses, that indicates ongoing continual action. You know what that means? That means we are continually falling short, falling short, falling short, falling short. Now, both of these Greek words are, are actual uh, athletic terms. 
The term for sin here, hamarton, is an archery term. You may have heard this before. When they shot an arrow and they would miss the bullseye, the arrow fell short, it missed the mark, they would yell hamarton, which means it's sinned. It's sinned. The arrow fell short, it missed the mark. Most of the time when I shoot a basketball, the ball sins, okay? It misses the mark. Now, the next phrase, fall short here, that's also an athletic term. Rio, it means to fall behind in a race. See, the Bible is saying we have all fallen way behind God's perfect standard. To be good enough to get to God, you got to be perfect. Anybody in here perfect? Uh, okay, going once, going twice, waiting for your spouse to laugh at you if you raise your hand. Okay, nobody's perfect. All have sinned, all fall short. Some may get a little further than others. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's without sin. Now, what exactly is the glory of God here? Now, scholars have different opinions on this one. I personally believe that this is a reference to the way God created mankind to be in the beginning. Like when God made Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they brought glory to him because they were perfect, they were in a perfect relationship, but they blew it. They sinned, and the glory was lost. Fall short of the glory of God means we fall short of God's ideal, of the potential he's put into our lives. And so salvation is necessary to restore the glory. Seventh, here we go, got to keep moving. And now we're getting into the meat of this. Salvation is undeserved. You don't deserve it, I don't deserve it. Verse 24 is one of the most significant verses in the Bible. It says, we are justified freely by His grace. Our salvation is undeserved. We get it freely by God's grace. That word freely there, doreon, also means without a cause. Without a cause. You know, it's only used one other time in the New Testament. It's used over in John 15, 25, when Jesus says the people hated him without a reason. So what does it mean when God justifies us freely? It means without a cause. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's undeserved merited. And it's without a cause, just because. You remember when your kids were preschoolers and you'd ask them, why did you do that? And they'd look up at you and say, because, right? And you're expecting a comma there, right? Like they're going to explain the reasoning, but the kid thinks it's a period, right? Because we're done here, right? Like that's going to be good enough. And you say, because why? And the kid says, because, That's actually a biblical answer, people. I looked at this passage. Without a cause. Why are you justified? God says, because. (laughs) Because I feel like it. Because I made a promise to you. Now, if you dig a little deeper, the causes for the justification, it's actually rooted in God's character, particularly his love. Goes back to John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. See, it was the love of God that motivated the gift that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. All right, let's keep digging in here. How about this word justified? This is a huge, huge biblical term. It's used three times as a verb and four times as a noun in the first three chapters of Romans alone. Well, if you do a little study into this word, you discover that it's actually a legal term. It's a term used in a courtroom. It means to declare not guilty. It literally means to make right. Justified is the legal act of God declaring guilty people 
guiltless. God acquitting mankind. And justification, it changes your position before God. Now, we see here that we're actually justified in three ways. First of all, it says we're justified by grace, verse 24, and are justified freely by His grace. Greek term kalis, we get our word charity from that word. The word grace means a free, undeserved gift. You don't deserve to be declared not guilty, but God graciously acquits you. It's His gift to you. Second, we're justified by his blood. Verse 25, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. The source of our justification is God's grace, but there has to be a grounds for our justification. And the grounds for our justification is the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So we're justified by grace, by his blood, and then finally, we are justified by faith. The condition of our justification is found in verse 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith. Jesus shed his blood to make it possible for God to extend his grace to us. But just because that grace is extended to us doesn't mean we have it yet, do we? The means by which we appropriate that justification to our lives, that is our faith. Our faith appropriates God's grace. So we're justified by grace by his blood, and by faith. And I need to point out here that the word justified is in the passive tense. You know what that means? That means it's something that happens to you. You don't work for it. God declares you innocent. God declares you not guilty. And justification, it's more than just forgiveness, okay? It means there is absolutely no longer any case against you. All the charges have been dropped, right? You are in perfect standing with God. All right, let's keep moving. A couple more. The next wonderful truth is this. Salvation is through Jesus Christ. See, our salvation comes through a person. Look at the end of verse 24. Through the redemption, we'll talk about that word in a second, through the word redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, your salvation, it doesn't come through a religion, doesn't come through baptism, doesn't come through ritual, doesn't come through a bunch of do's and don'ts. It comes through a person, Jesus Christ. And the second key term here is redemption. The Greek word for redemption, apaluo, it means to release by paying a ransom. It was a word that was used primarily to describe the slave market in the Roman Empire. You know, back in the first century, over half the population of Rome were slaves. Think about that. And in Rome, if you had the money, you could go out and buy a slave off the auction block, and then you had total rights to do as you willed with that slave. But first, you had to pay a redemption, a price to release the slave from his original owner. Well, according to the Bible, Jesus paid the ransom price for us. And you know, back in the first century, when you got that slave, you had a choice. You could either bring the slave home with you or you could set him free. Well, the Bible says that Jesus paid the ransom price for us and set us free. And that brings us to our final point of the day. Salvation, folks, is expensive. Salvation is expensive. There's no such thing as cheap grace. I mean, it's free, but it's not really free because it costs God a lot. It's a free gift to us, but somebody had to pay dearly for that gift. And that somebody was Jesus. Romans 3.25 says, God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. And there's the final key word today, atonement. 
Now, this is a very complex topic, but let me just give you a simple definition of atonement. Atonement means to satisfy. To atone is to satisfy. It means that there is a price, a penalty that must be satisfied. You know, when you break man's laws, you pay man's penalty. But when you break God's laws, you pay God's penalty. And God says the penalty for sin is death. And so the question of atonement is this. How can a God who is totally just and righteous and perfect forgive us and yet judge our sins at the same time? Like, how does he get away with that? Folks, that's the most important question you could ever wrestle with. You see, God, when he forgives us, can't just say, ah, you know, don't sweat it. It's no big deal. Ah, forget about it, right? It's no big deal. No, no, no. God is totally, absolutely just. He has to have a reason to forgive us. There must be a basis for it. And the answer is found in that one little word, atonement. Jesus provided the atonement. He's the one who satisfied the penalty, the price for our sins and made salvation possible. All right, so we made it through, okay? There you have it. Nine incredible truths about our salvation. Let me review them real quick. Salvation is designed by God, unearned, not a secret, by faith, available to everybody, necessary, undeserved, through Jesus alone, and expensive. Is that incredible or what? I mean, we should be praising God for all he's done in our salvation always done through Jesus. Let's do that right now. Lord, we just want to thank you and praise you. There's a lot here. Just in a few passages of Scripture, so much to unpack. But you have done great things for us. And I pray that we would never take any of these things for granted. I thank you so much for those words, but now in Romans 3.21. Because all have sinned, all fall short, we're all guilty, we are all deserving of spending an eternity apart from you because we have broken your laws, your perfect standard. But thank you, Jesus, for for justifying us, for declaring us innocent. Thank you for redeeming us, for for purchasing, purchasing us off that auction block, so to speak. We were slaves to sin and death, but you freed us of that. And thank you, Jesus, for atoning for our sins, for paying paying the ultimate price on that cross to satisfy the justice, the righteous demands of God. So God, my prayer now is that we would live out of these truths, that we would live our lives and recognize that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If there's anybody right now here in this room or watching, listening online, that doesn't know for certain that they have a relationship with you, I pray that they would just believe that you are the one who guarantees eternal life by faith alone. They would say, Jesus, I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not walking those stairs. I'm not climbing up. I'm getting on the elevator. I'm trusting you to take me to heaven. I'm trusting what you did for me when you died on the cross for my sins, trusting in your blood and your forgiveness. So, Lord, now help us to live out these truths. And next week, God, as we talk about uh, just the assurance that we can have, that we can be absolutely sure when we put our faith in you, we can't lose that gift, that that gift is a forever gift. 
And next week as we talk about rewards and, and what a blessing it is to serve you and the incredible riches, the blessings that we receive here and, and in all eternity, that that would just further just expand our heart to love you more and more and more and more. You're such a good God. You're an awesome God. And we love you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.